0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Emerging Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Felicity Theory, CEO and co-founder of We Aspire. Today, we've got a fantastic guest lined up for you. I've been watching her career over a number of years and been so impressed how she's been able to accelerate it and be in a global occupational hygienist role in a really short period of time and from an early age. Today, we're going to deep dive into her secrets of success, how she managed to get there, what it takes to lead, and just how she's done it in this global, ever-changing environment. Let's welcome Samantha. I'm super excited to chat with you today. We've known each other, we can say, for a number of years now, and you're currently in Switzerland. Is that right? Where exactly in Switzerland are you today? I am located in Brig in the mountains. Beautiful. Beautiful. And we worked together a number of years ago when you actually were part of our millennial leadership program. We first were kicking off We Aspire. And it's been amazing to see your career journey grow. You're currently leading a global organization in the industrial hygiene space. You've got a global role in industrial hygiene. You're in this big, you're like a big dog in leadership. How did you get there? Is it something that you imagined that you would go into in your career when you started as an occupational hygienist? And for those people in Australia, it's the health and safety space, um, I guess is what we would call it here.
1: Yeah. uh, I think, first of all, I never even imagined I would go into occupational hygiene. Like many people, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't, I also didn't really imagine myself in a leadership role. I think it kind of, came about when I found the field. So in the field of, of occupational hygiene or worker health and safety, mostly the health aspect, you I think you kind of inherently have opportunities to become a leader and because we work basically our goal is to you know we serve the working population. We make sure you know that they don't have exposures to noise or chemicals or that we raise up any concerns they may have in the workplace. So you kind of start to lead in a sense of you bring information up towards the leadership maybe on the site level or within a company and it's a really good opportunity I think to to uh to start to explore what leadership looks like and I think for me yeah, yeah I think for me I I started really even as a student already in professional organizations and that's where I also found uh what leadership roles could look
0: like And there's such a misconception about leadership is that it's when you become a leader, when you have a title of leader or when in your professional career you've got 10 direct reports, then I'll be a leader. But actually the behaviours of a leader actually start much earlier in your career and you're practicing and developing those over time. It's not suddenly, oh, when I I heard someone recently say, oh, when I get the leadership role, I'll behave like a leader. And I think it's sort of the opposite. We need to be behaving much earlier. Has that been your experience as well? It sounds like you've been practicing a lot of these skills throughout your career, even from a very early age before you've actually got into the leadership position.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For example, you know, being on a site, also maybe a little bit about my story. I grew up in the U.S. and I did my studies in the U.S., but I took my first professional role in Switzerland. And in Switzerland, occupational hygiene is is much less known than in the U.S. And so I was always on my own, actually, in all of my roles and gave me the opportunity and almost forced me to, to practice some of those leadership traits and to uh, build that muscle, I think, because I had to explain what that even was Within my company and, and to the site leadership, you know they knew they needed a, an occupational hygienist, but in a lot of cases they didn't really know what what that meant and what the role was really about and and their responsibilities towards workers, and vice versa. For a lot of workers, it was also about learning how do I protect myself, how do I stay safe, and in doing that, you communicate a lot um, in all directions, and and you it's a subject matter expert role, so you really uh, you have the know how and you help the people understand but you also sometimes need to fight for other people and and serve other people
0: it's such a good point i think some of those skills that you were just highlighting were around getting people on board with ideas having a vision inspiring people, creating change. Then there's also a piece around communication and really getting people to do stuff. And I feel a lot of a role of a leader is around how do I motivate someone to do something? And I think sometimes it can be even more challenging in a volunteer situation or when you're not their direct boss, because then you have to use other powers or other you know tools that help motivate and get people to do things. And sometimes I think it can be more challenging. So did you find that that was a lot of your role was not convincing people, persuading, creating change within organizations? Was that a big part of what you did early on?
1: Yeah, two two examples come to mind, actually. One is you cannot imagine how difficult it is to get people to care about their own health. <laughs> people, you know, we, we think we often deal with long-term uh, potential long term health effects, and so getting people to do something today that's gonna affect them in twenty or thirty years it's really hard for them to imagine that and I think you know sometimes we also even as occupational hygienists or or nurses or doctors even we might make decisions that you know it's fun right now or it's it's more interesting right now or it's nicer to have the piece of cake right now, but it's gonna might affect us down the line so The point is that it's really difficult i think to to convince people to care about their own health sometimes and that is one one area of attempting to persuade and i think it's a lot about awareness and and communication the other one is exactly like you mentioned in a volunteer role so yeah i think when i was really young and got involved in in these volunteer organizations I was really interested because we had a lot of, we had a couple local sections from various organizations that took us in as students and uh, really supported us. And it motivated me to want to give back, but in volunteer organizations, people have different motivating factors for wanting to be involved. And sometimes, for example, in my experience, I was very much supported as a student and it motivated me to want to give back. And in a lot of cases, seeing that it's kind of all hands on deck in these organizations and chipping in to help out and just asking what I could do really brought something back to me uh, in multiple ways. So just in terms of, you know, gaining information and knowledge, b- building a network, and also leadership positions started to come.
0: Sounds like, especially uh, personally, I volunteered a lot, and I think I got my best leadership experience volunteering and I used to think volunteering was I don't know kind of like not as good as being paid to lead. and I think I was like oh when I get that leadership role then I'll like seriously be a leader but it can be like you said there's so many motivations for people who are volunteering it could be well I want to put this on my CV I want to you know get into this course therefore I'm putting volunteer hours on my resume there's a there's a whole range of different motivators. And so I think it's not as easy most of the time because people cannot respond or they can just whatever. There's not as many consequences when if it's your job. I mean sure there's reputation stuff and I think it's heightened at work, but I think sometimes it can be more challenging in volunteering situations. Mm -hmm. And seeing nodding. So yes. I'm gonna change (laughs) questions. So actually I was going to ask another question around when you're in those situations and you have to you know get people on board with their health obviously that's something important for people they should be they should be wanting to care about that did you find certain things worked better than others to persuade people was it around storytelling was it around the consequences how did you motivate people in that situation
1: I think it varies. Everybody's different. And sometimes it's a story about an experience that you've had, you know, with another worker, or it can be a story projecting what can happen in the future. And sometimes it can be just giving information. Sometimes people don't realize that by not acting or not doing what is prescribed in the workplace, for example, that they don't really see what the consequences are, but it's because they don't necessarily have the information to to understand that either. So sometimes Ooh. it can be as simple as informing people of of what can happen.
0: Yeah. So you've gone to Switzerland. You've started this role early in your career. You're doing all these amazing leadership things, taking initiative, doing things that I guess you they probably didn't teach at uni or that you expected to be doing so early on. Now I've seen you know your career just in the last few years. I feel like rocket ship. That's not even the right word, but the trajectory has been amazing. You're now working globally, I think, is it 34 countries and 100 and something sites. Tell us a bit about your role now on the kind of leadership that you're doing today.
1: Yeah. So our team, our company is, is like you said, located in 35 countries. We have about 150 sites globally. And um, our team is the corporate EHS team. We're set up as a center of excellence, some regional directors, and then we also have kind of a dotted line to the sites, if you will. And so my role is in the center of excellence and I'm the health programs director. And in that role, there's really, it's very interesting. There's a lot of different ways to to show up as a leader. So in one way, we're deciding how the company should, should act in various circumstances. For example, we write all of the governance documentation, we write the standards for the company and say, look, this is how we're going to handle this certain topic. Uh, at the same time, We also support an auditing and making sure we, it's kind of the feedback loop to see are the sites implementing these things or how can we support them? And the other area is really around communication and capability building. So training people, uh, implementing tools to help them learn and to, to implement the other things that we've asked them to do. And it's, it's very interesting. Again, it's kind of, it's parallel to my role before, for example, on a site, you're in contact with workers, but also with site leadership. And in this case, I'm also kind of in between many sites and the executive leadership of the company.
0: So that's super interesting because I'm sure you're dealing with everyone from, say, you could say the shop floor or in a chemical plant all the way up to the executive leadership team how have you learned about communicating to all those stakeholders? Because that's a lot of people to lead through change and get them to do things and motivate and do what's required or implement policies. That's huge. How do you even, where do you even start with that? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of Times the,
0: the main question is what's in it
1: for me. So when people are, when you're talking to someone, you have to think what's, what's in it for them. And for example, when we're writing a policy for our company, we might think, okay, what are the risks? What are, how, how are we going to help mitigate this risk for the company? And then we need to explain, look, these are the issues we could have in doing this. These are the, the benefits we have. For example, in talking with workers, what's in it for them? Well, they will be healthy in the end. Sometimes it helps them work more efficiently, more effectively. You start to build a relationship where you also help, I think, on all levels of the company. Uh, you enhance trust and credibility, and I think that's important
0: as well. That's so You just made me think as well, because I'm sure you know a lot about the 35 countries you work in, but there's no way you could know everything about all those different cultures. Personally, how do you deal with that? And then professionally, how do you deal with that? Because I know for me, going into lead things, Maybe it's the engineer in me. I want to know all the answers. I want to know how everything works. I want to know all the details before I even get started. But it's going to be impossible to know that for 35 countries. So how do how do you find it personally? And then how do you strategize and plan for that as an organization? Yeah, that's a really good point. Leading across
1: cultures or working across cultures in general can be very challenging. I'm very lucky that in our team, we have maybe... I think we're maybe 12 or so in my direct team and I think we have seven or eight different cultures so so I'm very lucky in a sense that I get already quite a feel but you know if you think about Europe for example every country is very different so I think sometimes there's there's different ways to go about it sometimes I look up a little bit about you know are there cultural norms that I should that I should be aware of before I travel to this country or or speak with the people Sometimes, if I'm close with a colleague from that area, or or I start to build a relationship with a colleague from that area, I can start to ask them questions about, you know, this is what I would like to achieve. How would you go about doing this in your area, or is it typical, or what's the kind of response you could expect? Um, I'm very lucky as well that my volunteer role in a volunteer organization, I we operate in a lot of the countries where we have members from this organization. So I can also often connect with, with the other professional organizations in country to see, you know, what do your regulations look like? How is it, how would a typical occupational hygienist work? You know, what are, what are some things you would look out for when hiring consultants in that country? So, you know, I have kind of the, there's a almost soft cultural aspect the way about communicating and working with people but then also the technical aspect of how things are are working in that country
0: oh, super helpful and so Those volunteer roles, I think, are so powerful for just those small connections where you can just ask a quick question and it can be in that safe environment as well. And you can get probably insider information that you might not ordinarily get within your organization because there's not that pressure of, oh, the OHS is following up with me. You're like, oh, that's scary where you can get those little tidbits on the side. And you're someone who's leading in a lot of different spaces. So you're leading the Industrial Occupational Hygienist Association. That's your volunteer role. You're the chair of that. You're leading in your day job. And I know, I feel like you're a leader in your life because I know outside of work, you're doing all kinds of amazing things personally to develop yourself. How do you go about developing others? Because I know when you're in those leadership roles, you are looking out for your team. You're wanting to develop their capabilities as well. How do you think about that?
1: um I think there's a lot of listening and asking questions to the people around you, and you know sometimes either you you see that someone looks like maybe they're ready for uh, stepping into a certain role, or you you see okay this this person maybe has some potential and looks like they would be a good leader in this organization, and then you maybe find out what their interests are. Or for example, sometimes there's a role open or some an idea for a project in the organization, and if you have experience. working with a certain person you might tap them on the shoulder and say hey is this something that interests you or you know would you like to work on and i think that figuring out what people what people's strengths are one where they would like to develop but also what their interests are because i think again in the the space of the volunteer world if somebody's not that interested i don't think they're really going to take it on you know they're not going to feel ownership so finding something that works you know it, it sparks their interest It's something they can hold on to, but it's also something that the organization would like to achieve is probably the best way to marry those things
0: together. Absolutely. Such a good point. And one thing we look at often is people say they want to do something and then their actions sometimes are not correlated or they're a bit different. And I felt like this happened particularly when I was volunteering and in those committees where people go, yeah, 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 I want to be a leader. Yeah, I want to take initiative, but then they don't take the action. And I think that action really reflects their ultimate motivation. Have you found that as well as that's the actions are more correlated to actually saying and how do you go about handling those situations?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that can always be a case at work or in a volunteer organization or even in your life. But I think the, the best way to go about it is getting to the bottom of it. Sometimes people just say yes to too many things and you might contact them and say, hey, look, you know, if this doesn't fit right now, we can work on it later or we can find somebody else. Sometimes people just want a title. (laughs) Sometimes they just want the title of board member. And if it's not very helpful for the organization, then you
0: also have to have a conversation about that as well. Yeah. You're someone who's been looking into leadership and researching it for some time. What would you say has been the best advice that you have received throughout your journey?
1: I think to lead yourself first. This is one I think you're also pretty familiar with. The concept of lead yourself first, I really came across in, in MLP. And, but it it wasn't, uh, it was just a really good way of framing with a title for me. I think getting to know yourself as well as you can, uh, getting to know your strengths, your weaknesses, your interests, where you like to work the most, how you like to work the most, this is, this can be really powerful. And I think in in doing all of that, you get a very, very strong sense of self-awareness. And Mm. for me, that's one of the. I think, the most important leadership traits.
0: So good. I, I actually recently did the Gallup Strength. It was only a couple of weeks ago. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. like, oh, well, yeah, another another personality test. And then I learned all this stuff about myself. Of course, we love learning about stuff about ourselves. I was like, I need mean, to you know that was one of my stories. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it makes so much more sense why – I've been doing these tasks and avoiding those tasks. And I feel like it's almost interesting yes. sometimes. And I feel no matter which one you do, even if you if you chuck out half the stuff, it's so powerful to learn about yourself. And it's funny, right? You think out of out of everybody we should know ourselves the best. But there's often hidden gems and they can really unlock those motivators and drivers as well.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes we almost force ourselves into a box or, or an area where we think we should be. For example, my field is very technical, industrial hygiene. I mean, it's it's a lot about measurements and calculations and putting controls in place and measuring again. There's a communication and a sort of soft aspect to it, but it's very it's pretty technical, and I always thought that I needed to be that super technical person. But when I did, for example, my strength finder m- more than I would say the majority of of my strengths are in the relational area and mm-hmm. uh, I, it just really helped me understand better why i why those are the parts of my job that i love the most is connecting with people exchanging information you know for example if one site has an issue connecting them with another site to make that to, to start to build that relationship and mm-hmm. share best practices It's not that I need to find the best technical solution for them, but I get the most joy out of being able to connect them, and same in
0: in the volunteer organization as well. And that's the biggest trap that emerging leaders can fall into, particularly in technical organisations, is, and I've certainly done this, I remember when I moved from engineering into project management, and engineering was just one component of leading a project, there's budget, time, cost, quality, all these other things, and there was such a pull for me to go back to what I know, which was the technical piece, and I think when you're an emerging leader, or when you're going, transitioning into those leadership roles, that's often the first big leap, is putting you know, stepping away from that technical side of things and then stepping more into the influence, leaving that control, going to work more with people. Did you find that transition difficult or because you have a struggle with people, was it a bit easier for you?
1: I think from the very beginning, I kind of had a good mix of both. So because we, you have this a little bit in engineering as well, depending, but you we're really, I was really on the shop floor from the beginning on a production site. And it's not like this in all occupational hygiene roles. But for me, I was very connected with the people from the beginning. But I also did have that sort of subject matter expert role where I really needed to be able to explain very complex concepts in in sort of lay terms so that people would mm-hmm. understand it and also take action from their side. Um, so I think, you know, along... All along the way, I kind of had both. But right now I see, and I still have a subject matter expert role. I still have to write these documents, decide the best way for the company to go on certain topics, but I get, I'm further away from the field now. And mm-hmm. so in terms of helping people with practical advice, I'm, I'm always conscious of the fact that I might lose that more and more. And I, yeah. I don't like that because I don't want to be the person that is kind of, that can't directly help them. So yeah,
0: absolutely. I struggle with that part. <laughs> it is tricky, me too, and it's that like I feel like such a pull and maybe it's a human being thing of just wanting to control things and, you, know, yeah, not having the answers like we talked about earlier can be challenging for me. And so, yeah, I think there's that comfortableness you've got to get with your team, with the people, that trust that you build across the whole organisation that things are working on. And I imagine actually in your role there'd be a huge amount of trust with people on site as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we guide them. We help give them the tools and resources that they need. But we also can't. I mean, we're a very lean organization, and we have 150 sites, like I mentioned. So we do really have to trust that they're going to come to us also when when there's an issue, or you know, when even if it's about resources or if it's about know-how. Um, meaning that we should also build those relationships because if not, they're they're not going to come to us. So mm-hmm. there's there's a large amount of trust and. And I think communication from both sides.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Looking back, you know, you're someone who's progressed really quickly. It's super inspiring to see how you've jumped up. I think one of your promotions was four levels a, you know, above where you were, which was extraordinary to see. What would be your advice for somebody who wants to follow a similar similar career path, or they're wanting to jump into a, another leadership role? How would you, you know, what would be your advice for someone wanting to go about that, or making a step up in their career like you did?
1: I would say, don't hold yourself back. Raise your hand if somebody is, you know, if somebody's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, "Hey, I think this could be something for you." Don't let yourself get in your head and say, "No, maybe I don't have the experience, or or maybe I don't have the knowledge." I'm not saying you should should go full speed ahead if you really don't have knowledge about something, but uh, take, let people support you, let people help you, and let people identify as well for you when. When they think that you can do something, because I think when you're young, you might, you might hold yourself back. I think also raising your hands for opportunities just to get to know, you know, different topics, different people, understand how things are working, be willing to learn and and soak things in and just try to figure it out along the way. And I think that that also helps progress because you might start to see connections that you didn't see before.
0: You might start to see possibilities or new roles that you might not have thought would be for you. That's awesome advice and I think you sort of touched on this was around is that visibility of opportunities as well. I think we need to be open-minded to actually see opportunities that are coming up and also being in a position where people are tapping us on the shoulder for those roles as well. So often when we work with young people, we say, you know, how could you get yourself in the room? Is there a special project you could work on that might not necessarily be as part of your regular job but will help you give That visibility to an executive team or to senior managers. Is that something that you've tried out as well in gaining visibility to get those taps on the shoulder?
1: Yeah, tried out is, I'm not sure if it's the right word in the sense of I didn't really, like I mentioned in the beginning, I sort of just fell into it in our, because of the field, I think, and Mm -hmm. because, you know, we did have so much support in these professional organizations as a student that it really motivated me to start raising my hand and start taking an interest in, in helping out. And I don't I I I don't know that I consciously said, oh, if I do this project, I'll get this next role, for example, or if I raise my hand for this opportunity, I'll get this next thing. Just just an example in joining IOHA, where now I'll be the president next year. I really someone from we're an umbrella organization of sort of member organizations. And when the person from the Swiss occupational Soci- Hygiene association stepped off the board they there was a gap and they said would you like to do this and i said actually yeah that can be interesting because i have the global role and because anyway i'm i'm from the us and i'm living in switzerland i think it's interesting to connect occupational hygiene across these cultures so i said yeah sure i'll do it and uh i don't know i just got involved in a couple different committees when i started and i didn't at all think that the work that i would do in those committees would lead me to becoming part of the executive committee and, and now president mm-hmm. but i just took an interest in it and It
0: turned out that way. I think that's really powerful because you're not going in expecting something or having, you Mm -hmm. know, a, I don't know, not obligation, but yeah, this expectation of like, if I do this, then I will get here. You're genuinely interested, you're exploring things, you're passionate. And I think that can go a long way in you're someone who they can see that keenness in you and so they're wanting to get you involved because you have that that passion and that passion can come from I think you know just a genuine interest in the industry but it could also be I'm passionate about developing myself or I'm passionate about learning something new whatever your passion is I think you can find an angle to to do something and keep going with it yeah 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 absolutely question for you I'm going to change tracks a bit what would most people disagree with you about leadership? And I have loved asking our recent podcast guests this question because it's always so fascinating to hear people's answers. Samantha, what would you say? I think we touched on it a little bit in terms of career path. And for me,
1: and I think you have this in engineering as well, there's always this typical ladder. You need to have this much experience and this technical know-how and this title before you can move to the next one. And I don't think it has to be that way. I do agree that, that we are in technical fields. There is a certain amount of knowledge that, that needs to be had before moving on. But at the same time, there are different types of roles. And I think if you get to know yourself and what you like and what your strengths are, you don't necessarily have to progress directly up that ladder, but maybe sometimes you go horizontally, which leads you up to a different role a couple rungs up for example and i think you i see actually that a lot of our professional organizations really have instilled this sort of career path development and i think it's important it's good for us to understand what we're expected to know or or have as experience in those roles because it helps us understand if it's something for us but i don't think we have to stick to it exactly by the book as it's written
0: absolutely yeah i hear people often saying oh they need 20 years experience in this before they take on that opportunity. And here we take a step back and go, well, what are those qualities and skills that we actually want? I actually feel like my thing, what would people disagree with you on leadership is very similar to yours, if not the same, because it might be actually, we need someone who's got this attitude and this strength and can can motivate a team. You don't need to be the technical expert on all of those areas. You're relying on working together. And where are you in a workplace today? Unless, I don't know, I'm sure people will come up with all kinds of roles to counteract this argument but um you know we're not working in a a silo you're not just one person not communicating with anyone all day those those people skills those team skills are so important and it's about leveraging those those strengths as well so yeah totally agree it's not a ladder and I feel like even maybe in schooling because we've gone from you know primary school high school and maybe university or it's a step-by-step ladder and that progression even at school is often very linear and that's that mindset that we get into where actually when you're out in the big bad world it can go so many different ways and opportunities that you might not have expected can come up and it transport you to a totally different market segment different career different opportunity and totally throws the ladder out the window so totally agree yeah. sam i think that's awesome uh, What are your final thoughts about leadership before we wrap up this conversation? Anything I haven't asked you, anything that you want to share about leadership? I know it's a really, really big topic, but yeah, anything we've missed in our conversation today?
1: Yeah, it's a huge topic. (laughs) Um, I think there are many, many points that that I could touch on, but I think the biggest point is you might see leaders that you like or want to be like or... uh, Again, you might feel like you need to fit yourself into exactly what this role is asking for. But at the same time, it's really important to to be yourself. And I think that's where, again, where it comes in and getting to know yourself. Everyone's going to have a different style of leadership and everyone's going to have their own strengths and weaknesses and interests. And I think it's just really important to know those. And um, I think something I would also mention just as a last point is, Aside from that, a really important leadership trait to me personally is is to have someone that's approachable because I think that's how you get to know, get to know people, get people to open up to you, get to understand. I think it's important to ask questions and listen. but if you're not someone that's approachable, I don't
0: think you're going to get that opportunity. So I think it's important to to be approachable. Couldn't agree more. I think you get so many insights and people actually are willing to share openly with you. And Mm -hmm. I think even approachable can kind of come into, I know for me, I often want to have everything handled and look handled like I've got it all together. And can also come across as not approachable as well, like oh you know, like like almost like a back off or just like I'm putting my walls up. So I think it can appear in so many facets, whether it's like, oh I'm trying to have everything handled and that vulnerability is such a powerful tool to to open. I'd love to add a question to that then, if uh, which is you know what? How do you? How do you? How do you develop yourself in being approachable? Is it something that you've deliberately worked on over your career?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there's there's even physical ways of being approachable in the sense of, for example, if I go to to a production site, I'm likely not going to wear a suit. And and high heels one because it doesn't make sense i need to put safety <laughs> on, but, but i don't i want to be able to seem like someone can talk to me and people know okay corporate's coming but mm. they don't if, if you don't seem like that they'll still talk to you and open up and it's very different across cultures as well but i think you know dressing your audience as well for example dressing like i'm going to the production site or dressing like i'm going to the head office when i am mm-hmm. i'm not going to wear the same clothes i would wear on the production site i think and in the head office and it's a very simple thing but i think it really changes the tone of your role changes also Absolutely. throughout different meetings or days and i think that's one way and also just listening not always even if even if you do or you think you have the answer just listening, you know, to make sure that you understand it fully before you give that response or, or that you understand why people are
0: are coming to you really, and not that you Mm. just make assumptions about it. That's so powerful. I'm just reflecting on all the conversation. So obvious when people don't listen, right? And it has that, it gives you a feeling and know that quote around, people remember how you made them feel. Mm. And yeah, if you're not, So obvious when people are not doing it. It's such a powerful tool, I think, to really connect. And love what you said about dressing for the situation. It's almost, you know, meeting people where they're at as well. I know when I go speak to school students, I try and dress a bit more fun or, you know, even be approachable to that audience compared with if I was walking into a boardroom. And it reminds me as well, another sort of lens to it could be also presence. How do you create that presence with people? So it's being approachable and balancing with having people listen to you at the same mm-hmm. time and I don't want to say taking charge because I think you're right as a leader you need to listen but there's a balance between all of those different elements and something I've worked on is even just my facial expression I did a lot of mm-hmm. I do a lot of speaking. And so presenting in front of the mirror has been really powerful for me to notice what the expressions of my face do when I'm not really thinking. And yeah, I got some uh, angry faces. So I've definitely been in- trying to work and improve on that. But that's a simple one, too, right? of <laughs> Literally, you know, tell your face what you're thinking. Uh, or, you know, maybe not tell your face anything, but, you know, get your face to represent what you want as well. And I can see you've got a big smile on your face as I'm sharing this, Sam. Is that something you've thought about, too? Oh, I'm taking this away for sure.
1: I don't. <laughs> it from time to time, if I really have a big presentation coming up, but I think just general conversations also with my team, I should probably know a little bit more what i uh, how it's reflecting what I'm thinking.
0: <laughs> a lot of hotel rooms to see my angry face pacing in front of a mirror, trying to practice my presenting yeah it's it's very helpful exercise, I'd recommend it, but yeah it's uh takes some bravery as well, confronting oh, that's what I actually look like when I say that so. <laughs> Amazing. Well, this has been awesome. I'm taking away being approachable and how I can really listen better to people. So, thank you so much for your amazing insights, Sam. It's been awesome talking to you. Thanks for being a part of the Emerging Excellence podcast. And you're definitely one to watch. You're doing so amazing already. I don't know how much further you can go up because you're already top of your game. I'm excited to see the rest of your journey and what lies ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Felicity.